Volume One, Chapter Five of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Five such was the group which at a very late hour in the evening entered the dining-room of mrs molyneux who with her husband and celestina received them in the usual forms lady castlenorth as usual took the lead in conversation having first satisfied herself that mrs molyneux had sent for willoughby and heard her assurances that he would certainly be in town the first moment he possibly could after hearing of the arrival of his noble relations what sort of taste my dear cried her ladyship to mrs molyneux is this apartment fitted up in is this the present style in england i think it extremely ugly this was trenching on matilda in a very tender point taste was her reigning foible and the house had on her recent marriage been fitted up under her directions at an immense expense to have her elegance called so abruptly in question therefore was very far from being pleasant and she answered coldly i'm sorry you dislike it it is i believe the newest style of doing rooms to what does your ladyship object oh to the whole these sort of papers are unclassical and glaring i don't like the color of your furniture neither nor i interrupted mrs calder tis terrible for the eyes does not your lordship find it dazzling and inconvenient even by candlelight she then began to explain the effect of glaring and strong colors on the visual orb when lady castlenorth who had no intention to throw the conversation into her hands, turned abruptly towards Celestina, of whom she had hitherto taken no notice, and said, looking steadily at her while she addressed Mrs. Molyneux, that, I think, is the young woman whom your late mother said she took out of a convent somewhere in France, is it not? mrs molyneux answering in the affirmative lady castlenorth her eyes still fixed on the object of her inquiry said ay i thought i recollected her umph and so mrs willoughby provided for her did she well and is she to live on with you as she did in your mother's time only a few days longer madame said celestina who had borne very impatiently this rude and unfeeling scrutiny i am then going to reside entirely in the country i'm glad of it child replied the lady for i always consider it a misfortune when girls are educated above their fortune and introduced into a style of life they have no pretensions to indeed i gave mrs willoughby my opinion about you repeatedly in your infancy i did not then know her circumstances allowing her 
in justice to her husband's children to provide so amply for another however though it was a great deal for her to do it is not by any means a fortune to authorize you with prudence to continue to live about town you took i think your christian name from the order of nuns among whom you were reared and your surname i mean the name they gave you it has escaped me my name madame said celestina whose tears were restrained only by indignation is del mornay true i recollect it now i remember i inquired of miss willoughby whether when they gave you that name they had any reason to fancy you any way related to the family of the famous duplicis moray but i think she told me no and that you received that appellation because the superior to whose care you were entrusted had some fanciful partiality to the name to this no answer being given the conversation took another turn but was still engrossed by lady castlenorth while mrs molyneux wearied to death proposed cards and making a table with the noble pair mrs calder and her husband she sat down with herself by miss fitzhaman and endeavoured to enter into conversation with her miss fitzhaman however who never loved her cousin because she had heard her reckoned handsome and who was out of humour to find that willoughby was not yet arrived though there was barely time for him to have come express received all her advances with more than her usual haughty indifference and while she answered in short sentences or mere monosyllables she now examined with looks of dislike the studied but becoming dress of mrs molyneux now with yet more unpleasant expressions glanced with averted head from the corners of her eyes on celestina who without any study at all was infinitely more beautiful these scowling looks of mingled malignity and contempt added to the behaviour of lady castlenorth towards her had by this time rendered the room so disagreeable to her that she left it as soon as she could a loud rap at the door however soon after announced the arrival of other visitors and some ladies coming in who had finished their circle of visits for that evening mrs milanot as tired of the daughter's silence as she had before been of the mother's loquility proposed a table at vin un which celestina was immediately desired to join the party was hardly placed at it before mr molyneux was informed by his gentleman that mr willoughby was below and asked to speak to him desire him to come up replied he without any seeming consciousness of the formidable nature of the interview he was to go through he is in boots sir replied the servant and desired me to say that he is going immediately to his lodgings oh but we shall not let him go said molyneux do mrs molyneux 
continued he, addressing himself to his wife, do go down and bring up this brother of yours. Mrs. Milano rose and left the room. Lady Castlenorth, still appearing to attend to her game, turned her fiercely questioning eyes, first on her daughter, who might have blushed if her complexion had been calculated to shrew the suffusion of blood, and then unluckily they were attracted by the more unequivocal and deep rose colour, which for a moment took possession of the face of Celestina, who sat next to her. There was no time to comment on this appearance before it was heightened by the entrance of Willoughby, who was immediately led by his sister to Lord Castlenorth, then to her ladyship, and at length to Miss Fitzhaman. He paid his compliments to all with his usual graceful manners, but not without an impression of pain and embarrassment in his countenance, which he seemed vainly trying to shake off he had yet distinguished nobody in the room but those who whom he had been speaking but on recovering from the low bow he had made to miss fitzhaman he saw celestina and staring he said in a hurrying way miss de moray i thought you had left my sister i hope i see you well celestina answered only by a curtsey and willoughby turning away towards Mrs. Molyneux, told her that he was a good deal fatigued, and must beg her to excuse him for the rest of the evening, but that he would be with her the following morning to breakfast. Your lordship, added he, turning to the uncle, will perhaps allow me to pay my respects to you and Lady Castlenorth in the course of the morning then without waiting for the reply which his lordship was in great form waiting to give him he hurried out of the room and the card-tables very soon afterwards broke up though willoughby was very much altered since miss fitzhaman had last seen him the change appeared greatly in his favour his undress and the agitation he was apparently in which she inputted to the very effect of her charms, combined to make him appear more interesting both to the mother and the daughter, and as they went home Lord Castlenorth, who grew every day fonder of the proposed marriage, spoke much in praise of his nephew's filigree and manner. He has a great deal, said he, of the family countenance. He strikes me, indeed, he always did from a boy, as resembling greatly the picture painted on board of William, son of Robert Fritz Heyman, sensual to Henry the Second, who obtained the grants of this estate in Gloucestershire. His arms were azure, a lion rampant, gardened, or the original bearing of the family, you see it so in the great window of the hall at Castle North. The next is that of his wife, party per pale, two griffins countersailant, sable, langed gulls. This is my first quarter for the name Bigot, a daughter of which house. This William, son of Robert, married. Lord Castleneth was now got on his favourite topic, 
and in the numberless quarterings of his present bearing he quite forgot the merits of his nephew and was busied among wyverns and boars pearls salt piers fesses and bent dexters till they arrived at their own house the imaginations however of the rest of the company finding nothing to arrest them in a detail so often repeated had all left them to settle his chevrons and chevronelles his own way even the attentive and complacent mrs calder was considering whether a lady in the company they had left who had related her complaints to her was in a right course of medicine lady castlenorth was laying up a little magazine of literature which she intended to open on willoughby the next day and her daughter was contemplating in her mind's eye the handsome person of willoughby the figure they should make at court and the triumph there would be when without degrading herself by an unequal alliance in point of family she should notwithstanding carry to her husband so splendid a fortune and titles so ancient and illustrious end of volume one chapter five recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c